Thank you, Leon. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Lee and the team. Thank you, church. Thank you that will live with me, I'm sure, for the rest of my life. (laughs) And in danger of becoming emotional, I'm going to head straight into Christmas because Christmas is coming with only three days to go. And last Monday evening, I got back from the office to be told by my wife, Rach, that her mom was having the children. And we were heading off to Mary Hill to buy presents, which came as, a, came as a shock, because if you're anything like me and most men are, through the year, Christmas seems a long way off. You don't have to think about it. And then it's suddenly here, and you're forced to. And we were driving to, to Mary Hill, and Rach said, what are you preaching on on Sunday, today? What are you preaching on today? And I had my main idea, which I, I ran through. And she said, aren't you going to say anything about Christmas And I was, nope. (laughs) And she was, really? Because it's nearly Christmas. And I said I'd preach it in my Christmas jumper, which wasn't the right answer. And it was annoying, but she had a point. And Christmas, this short season with Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, it does something within you. Maybe it's because of the, the memories that we all have of being a child Maybe it's because mostly, and I realise not for everyone, it's the time when the world seems to slow down for one or two days and people aren't working and, and they're home and they're, they're with family. And somehow it causes you to think, to look back over the year that you've had. And for me, to look back over the year that I've had means to deal with reaching a significant age. Because I was born on the 2nd of June 1974. And I'm now 40, 40 years old. And I've had all the conversations in my head. What does it feel like to have a midlife crisis? (laughs) And what you've got to know about me is that I'm I'm a slow responder. And it didn't happen there and then. But I'm thinking it may be happening because the clues are there. And this is one of them. Look at this. Look at this. I've started buying motorcycle magazines. (laughs) Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Some, some urge to, to prove myself that I'm still young and free and, and not single and not allowed to have a motorcycle. But I'm working on it. Watch this space. I've been thinking this through for six months now. And as much as I like fast bikes, I don't like all the posturing and bravado that goes along with it. And these classic motorcycles, it's more sedate, more historic. It's Horlicks rather than Red Bull. And if you, <laughs> if you, if you know me, you'll realise that that's more to my liking. And the photos in here, some of them are in black and white. And there's something about that too. And there's oil and there's grease and there's engines that that come apart. It's so much more mechanical. The only apples are the ones that you eat. And the clouds are grey with rain, not data storage. (laughs) I think that maybe I'm turning into my dad. (laughs) And I'm starting to enjoy the experience. (laughs) And there's an article in here. And it got me thinking, because it fits, not now, but, but at the finish, with where I'm at personally. And with what I sense that I should speak on with this, this final talk. And it's an article about E.J. Potter. And here he is in, in glorious black and white. 
And I'm aware that something needs to, to change here, even in this talk, because up to now, when I've spoke, it's been we and, and us. I'm part of it. We're together, you and me, in building this local church in Howells Owen. And as much as I'm going to continue building local church, it isn't going to be this one. And we has got to become you. And the question that I've set myself, knowing what I know, having experienced what I've experienced over the years that I've been here, is what are you great at as a church? What are you great at as a church? Because you are. You are a great local church. Not perfect, but no one, least of all Jesus, set that as the objective of the local church. In fact, you could argue that if a church isn't full of people whose lives are messy and sinful and broken, and in the process of transformation, then it isn't church at all. It's religion without any need for God and His grace. And I've often said this, especially to people who are joining new. Local church can only ever be human's best attempt to do what only God can do. When it's working right, it's incredible, it's beautiful, it's unstoppable. When it breaks down, and it does in parts, and this church does, as all churches do, it can get frustrating and ugly and upsetting. But if I've learned one thing about local church, which if you forget everything else, then remember this, you've got to remain rooted, remain fixed, doggedly following what God has called us to do in building this local church, person by person, life by life, because this is plan A for transforming people into Jesus' followers and seeing God's kingdom coming here on earth, and there is no plan B. And these headlines about what you are great at... They aren't definitive. They aren't necessarily the most significant. Because this is personal, it's subjective. It's what I've experienced and have come to know as core to this local church. And the first thing that you're great at is changing people's preconceptions about what church looks like, what church sounds like, what church feels like. Maybe they've been to a church as a child or they go once a year at Christmas and in their heads, the, the priest or vicar, he wears a, a robe or a, a dog collar, and he stands at some holy distance away using some holy voice. And the hymns and the, and the music, it doesn't connect because it feels like they've gone back two centuries. Now, I'm not sure how many churches you could say that of, but it is a preconception. And I enjoy, I get a, a kick out of seeing people's reactions when they walk in here, and you can almost see the, the question mark on their faces, and the question they're asking is, is this church? Is this church? I'm sure it helps that we meet in a, in a building that's more like Ikea than, than St. Paul's, and immediately, immediately it causes you to think differently about church. And then there is what happens here on a Sunday, how you create an experience that connects with where people are at. And that only happens because you're ready to question and challenge what is sacred and what is cultural. But you're never ashamed. You're never ashamed. You never dumb down the gospel, the, the good news that we preach and that we celebrate at Christmas, that God sent his son Jesus as a baby into the world to grow up and to, to live among us and then age 33 to die on a cross a saving death so that we can be forgiven and, and set free and then to, to rise again to life, thereby defeating death and giving us life, life here and life in heaven where we will see him face to face. 
And then everything else, how you communicate that good news can be wrestled with to get it to a, to a place where it is culturally relevant and has impact. And you're not afraid to, to venture into the grey with people and their lives, dealing with the most difficult of issues where we hold that tension between grace and, and truth. And that wrestling, that desire to communicate within our culture, within our generation, it comes at a cost because people may criticise. They may misunderstand you. Or at least they may take time to see enough to know that what you're trying to do is to further God's great mission of salvation through his local church. And knowing that about you, then there's the second thing that you're great at. And that's about bias, which could be seen as a a negative word, but we've got to be more courageous than that. Having bias means you're prepared to say something is more important, more core to the mission than something else. And you're going to line up behind that something with passion and vision and people and and resources. And that phrase that we've heard, that desire to build a church for for the unchurched, that is something that gives you a bias, a bias to the unchurched. Those who don't yet know God, who haven't been part of a church before, and they can come here and they can feel really welcome and they can have an understanding of what's being said, sung, prayed, and they can respond to it and want to come back next week. And having a bias reveals more of what's at the core of you as a church. And church for the unchurched means you're wanting to see people saved. People meeting Jesus for the, for the first time. And this is my bias too. I want to see people saved. You want to see people saved. God sent his son 2,000 years ago so that people would get saved. Just last year, I was on holiday with Rach and the children down in Ilfracombe. And we had a chance to walk around the, the lifeboat station. It was free and you don't get into many places with children for free. So we jumped at it. And the captain... The captain showed us round the, the lifeboats. It was a great piece of kit, costing millions of pounds. And he talked through how it worked when someone was lost at sea. And me and Emily and Jay were already out there in our minds, in the storm, saving lives. And what remained with me from that experience was about the crew. Because when the alarm was raised, when someone was lost out there, the crew would be doing their normal jobs all of them within a a certain radius of the lifeboat station, and they'd be carrying these beepers with them, these estate agents and butchers and solicitors and sales managers and, and so on, who no doubt felt fulfilled within their day jobs. But when someone was lost and the alarm was raised, their beepers went off and they stopped everything they were doing and they ran to the station and the boat was in the water within minutes. The crew lived with the constant knowledge, even in doing their day jobs, that saving lives went beyond that. Now, a small number of us have the the, the privilege of manning the lifeboat station because you've enabled us to. But never forget, never forget that you're the crew out there. You are the crew. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you've got the beeper and you're in the business of saving lives. Another bias, and for me you've got to have this, is inspiring investing and creating opportunities for young people. The fact is, we, me and you, the church, it naturally gets older. You don't need a vision or a strategy for that. You just need to stay alive. (laughs) What doesn't 
What doesn't naturally happen is ensuring that the church remains young and new with energy and creativity. And that's where bias comes in. And it isn't that young equals better, equals all the opportunities. But when you see young with passion for God and, and gifting, which is raw because of age, but teachable, then you've got to risk and you've got to release. And I'm convinced that if we play our part in that, then our role, your role, actually grows. You become the shoulders on which young people climb as you lift them higher and take them further on in God than we ever went. The third thing that you're great at is momentum. And there's no point having bias if you're not moving because bias without momentum is just opinion. Whereas bias with momentum gives you evidence. And the evidence is here. With last Sunday, just under 1,000 people at the Christmas production. With Alpha courses through 2014 that were full. And people coming through and getting saved and getting baptised. With over 200 young people here at the Hub on every Friday night. With children giving their lives to Jesus in Discovery Zone. This church has momentum and bias and evidence but I know it can come at a cost to our sensitivities. And I've felt it most when I come back off holiday. And it's like standing at a, a train station, there on the, on the platform, reaching out a hand for the, for the door. But the train that's coming through, it isn't stopping. It isn't slowing. But you, you reach for the door anyway, and you get up to speed very quickly. That can come as a shock. And you can question the pace of it. But back in the days of Jesus, he knew the need for drive. And speaking in Matthew 11, verse 12, he said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. God, his kingdom has momentum. And as much as it is right to stop at Christmas, to, to freeze frame the, the nativity scene with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the, and the kings and the, the birth there in the poorest of, of situations with a baby wrapped in cloths and placed in a, in a manger, that event set the clock ticking. And at 30 years old, with only another three years ahead of him, to teach and to heal and to, and to do miracles and to impart God's mission to the 12 disciples. Jesus knew the destination was Jerusalem and the cross. We've got to have drive. The kingdom of heaven needs it. And you've got a leader and you've got a staff team here that understands that. I don't know how many times I've heard it said or said it myself that we will build the plane as we fly it. A fourth thing that you're great at is creating opportunities. And that's something else where I've said it myself, that everyone needs a platform to perform on. And that certainly isn't just about this platform here, being up front. And it isn't about performing for a, for a large audience. It's about that audience of one, where we're using our time, and we're using our gifting to serve God's and there is no greater feeling than knowing that you are partnering with him. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing a, a letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he explained how the church was best seen as a, as a body with different parts and, and different functions, eyes, ears, arms, legs. But when it is working right, it is one. No one greater, no one lesser, up front or behind the scenes. We all need 
one another for this remarkable force called local church to reach the world. And only God knows what is within you as you start to serve. I started with folding paper for for seven-year-olds, and I'm still happier washing up than being on stage. But you've got to trust God with what he is asking of you. Five and six, with things that you're greater as a church, seem to contrast one another. And I'll tell you both, and then I'll I'll work with them. There is a a moment, and there is a a journey. There was a a moment 2,000 years ago in the skies over the heads of some shepherds, one night in in a field outside of Bethlehem, where one angel was joined by a great host, the company of angels, all praising God. And and those shepherds, they started a a journey to see the thing that had happened. And you, as a church, are great at creating a moment through silence, through prayer, through the bread and the wine, through music, through video, through testimony, through preaching, through response, the creation of a, a sacred moment where God connects with his people. But moments come and go. And what remains is the journey. Another book that I've been reading recently is one by Ted Simon. It's something of a a classic for travel and motorcycle enthusiasts. It covers Ted's motorcycle journey in the 1970s, where he rode 63,000 miles over four years through 54 countries. I was only two or three chapters in and Ted had been riding for a number of months, traveling down through Africa. And then he realized, he realized that the road had changed him, the journey had changed him. The anxieties that he had he'd started with, the situations where he'd made mistakes and felt vulnerable and, and felt threatened, the things that he'd learned, he knew he had changed. Physically, he was stronger. Mentally, he was more robust, more able to cope. Mechanically, his, his knowledge had in, increased with each roadside repair. That was on a motorbike. But it holds true for the Christian journey. And you at this church, you see the need for journey with people through life and, and through relationships. And the road, it changes you. It strengthens you. And God does do some of his best, some of his personal, most transformative work slowly within you and I want to call all of us to be committed to the road the road that God's put down in front of you and to do it in relationship with trusted others that's what I'm going with those six or at least that was it up until about three weeks ago when I was here on a on a Sunday and and to use some Christian code God dropped something into my spirit which means I sent something inside me. God gave me something to say, not that I heard his audible voice. And this is a word to the older, the the more senior in years, those who are further down the road, further on in their journey. I want to honor your faithfulness because it may well be hardest for you. You have to hold on the tightest. You have to deal with the greatest contrast, cross the the widest generational gap when facing those changes to culture that affect everything, and especially communication. The music, the, the media, the volume, the young people themselves. I know it can be bold, and it can be loud, and it can be fast. And who knows where I'll be when I'm your age, but I want to be like you are in a church like this, 
that breaks preconceptions, that has bias and momentum because it's passionate about seeing people saved. I want to be in a church that creates opportunities, that gives platforms, that takes risks. A church that knows the importance of a, of a moment where God can connect in a, in a sacred space. But also knows that it's in it for the long haul. Journeying with people in a long obedience to Christ. And at the finish, it's classic motorcycle magazine and EJ Potter that I want to tell you about. See, I've had this black and white photo on my desk for the last three weeks. And this picture and his story are somehow connected with this, this transitional time in my life. And it's kept me inspired. When I first read the story, it was his final quote, EJ's final quote that got me. And if you don't know anything about EJ, which I'm doubting many of you do, I'll give you the headlines on his life quickly. EJ was born in Michigan, USA in 1941. And he had a lifelong fascination with mechanics and performance. While still at school, he put a lawnmower engine into his bicycle. In his teens, he put a Chevrolet V8 into his Harley Davidson. EJ was fearless and became an instant legend on the drag strip and was nicknamed the Michigan Madman. He was unconventional in his approach to engineering and, and going fast. And one problem that he encountered that shows this up was with the transmission on his motorbike. Because of the immense power of the engine he was using, he was struggling to feed that through the, the drive train. If you're at all familiar with, with cars or bikes, this is where clutch control comes in and allows you to feed the drive in smoothly. I told you that I'm turning into my dad. What EJ decided, what he decided was to remove the transmission from his massively overpowered motorbike and have direct drive, which meant revving the motorbike up to full speed on the stand and then kicking the stand away with the back heel back wheel hitting the road surface and spinning ridiculously with white smoke pouring off it and he snaked away fighting for control and, and grip before reaching full speed within seconds. An incredible ride which thrilled the spectators. And even if all of that went over your head, then it's EJ's final quote that you need to get when he said, ignorance, ignorance is a powerful tool if applied at the right time even usually surpassing knowledge. Ignorance is a powerful tool if applied at the right time, even usually surpassing knowledge. An odd quote which made me smile because I think that mostly that's been my approach without knowing it. And that, <laughs> and that quote isn't so odd that it didn't get me thinking. And it's not a direct translation, but it's where my mind went next in the New Testament and in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25, he said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I've learnt now that I would much rather commit myself to my ignorance about God and trust him, put my faith in him, than go with my knowledge of the world and be thrown off by that. Then Paul continues in verses 27 to 31. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become wisdom for us from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's foolishness is wiser. God's weakness is stronger. And if I'm going to boast at my finish here, then I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to boast about my ignorance, foolishness and weakness because it can only be God that has been able to use me for his glory. And if I'm going to boast, it's about this church what I know, what I've experienced here. This is a great local church, and I'm proud of it. And you can be proud of it. And I know that what God has done here over the years, what he's done in me and and through me, it's going to come out of me in the years to come. And as I go off, kicking the the stand away, I know I'm going to snake down the the track, producing some smoke, (laughs) struggling, struggling to get the same traction the same grip as I've had here. Because you've let me grow here. You've given me opportunities. You've taught me grace and what it means to become a pastor. You've given me a platform to perform on. But more than anything, you've loved me. And I know it will never be the same. I'm not expecting that because God has set me down on a different drag strip. And this is for all of us. Sometimes God doesn't bother with the transmission. He removes the, the clutch from the, from the system. He kicks the stand away and lets the robber hit the road. And as I follow him, and as you personally, and as a church, you follow him. At times you may feel like you, you, you're clinging on, and it's only faith that's holding you there. But never forget that faith, having faith, acting on faith is exactly what pleases God the most. And what a ride it is. Lee and the team, if you want to head back, if you want to stand, I'm going to pray now. God, what a ride it has been for me personally. What a ride it's been for us as as a church. Lord I pray now I pray release Lord for myself I'm going to head off (laughs) going to make some smoke Lord hopefully get some traction see what happens I'm in it for the ride and I've got faith to believe and Lord for the church more importantly here this local church this great local church in Halso and I pray release for them release from me (laughs) Because it's not about me, it's about you, God. It's about what you're doing. Lord, and I I pray with what's ahead for for this church. Lord, I, I pray it wouldn't just be smoke, but it would be ongoing evidence. Ongoing evidence of your activity. I've seen it. Lord, and it's brought glory to your name. And Lord, there's so much more ahead. So much more that you're gonna take this church into through the leader Leon through the team Lord through the crew and this is about the crew you are it you are the church you're the crew you're out there saving lives rescuing people 
And Lord, if I can pray one thing for this church as I finish, it's Lord that people would come in. Lord, people would get saved. Lord, people would get baptized. People would see their lives transformed and they'd become followers of you, Lord Jesus, because that's the greatest ride that we can have on this planet. And it doesn't stop there because it continues on into eternity and heaven. Lord Jesus, I call us to that. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.